Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Um, especially welcome to you if you are joining us from downstairs in the traditional sanctuary or joining us online or listening via podcast. We're so glad to have everybody um, with us this morning. You know, um, it is October, which means that Halloween is coming up. And I live in the perfect neighborhood for trick-or-treating. So our houses are kind of small and they're close together and they're like situated pretty close to the road and so the distance that a child would have to walk to get to the door is not very far. So you can really make bank if you come to our neighborhood, right? Kids can just like get tons and tons of candy and they have learned this. And so there are a lot of nearby neighborhoods that kids will come and trick or treat in our neighborhood because it's so great. And it's amazing. I love it. If you look on the street on um when the kids are trick-or-treating, right, there are kids and there are grown-ups and there are pets and there is laughter and there is candy. Like, I'm not kidding that there are so many people that you might not be able to see the blackness of the street. Like, that is how many people come to our neighborhood on Halloween. Um, and it's just wonderful, right? It's so great having all of those people out and connecting and stuff. But it turns out that I think not only have trick-or-treaters heard that our neighborhood is great for going door to door, but other people have found that our neighborhood is great for that. People who are like wanting to sell things um, or get us to sign up for things or whatever, right? We routinely have people come to our door and knock on the door for some reason. Um, and one of the groups of people that often will come are Jehovah's Witnesses. And some of you know this. I love it when Jehovah's Witnesses people come up to my door. And some of this, I think, is just I'm an extrovert, and I love having conversations. And so the thought of someone coming up and knocking on my door just to have a conversation with me is pretty great. Like, hey, I just want to talk to you. Great, thanks for coming, right? And then when I find out they actually want to talk about theology, right? They want to talk about faith stuff. I'm like, this is my jam, people, right? So it gets great. Like, I'm just like, come on, come on. And, and we get a lot fewer of them uh, now. And I don't know if it is because of the pandemic or maybe I got on a list somehow, like, because I just talk and talk and talk to them. Like, do you want to sit down, a cup of tea? What are we doing? You know, um, but, but, you know, it, the reality is that when someone from the Jehovah's Witnesses will come to our door, what they're doing is they're trying to share something about their faith. And in mainstream Christianity, going door to door isn't a way that we tend to share about our faith. But actually, the idea of sharing our faith is something that has been a part of, of Christianity for a long time. And we have a word for that. We, we talk about evangelism. And the word evangelism brings up a lot of complicated emotions for a lot of people, um, both inside and outside of the church, people who are followers of Jesus and people who aren't, because we've all had pretty different experiences with evangelism. Here in our city, um, if you were to go uptown this afternoon, there is a, a good chance that you might walk past someone on a street corner who is preaching into a microphone or holding a sign, right, doing street evangelism. Um, or this week, you could go to the Billy Graham Library which is a museum that's dedicated to telling the story of the evangelist Billy Graham. And people have different experiences that are, are either off-putting or really warm, and so it gets a little bit complicated for evangelism when we talk about it in terms of sharing our faith. And so I'm curious about what that word or the idea of inspiring other people to follow Jesus brings up in you when we say that. Um, 
if you are um, someone who is a follower of Jesus or part of the church, there's at least a good chance that the idea of sharing your faith has some positive associations with it. So there is um, a group called the Barna Group, and this is a group that does a lot of polling, and they poll um, Christians across denominations about a number of different topics. And so if you ever want to know, hmm, I wonder what pastors think about this, or I wonder what Christians think about this or that, um, the Barna Group has probably asked them. And so you can access a lot of these information and these polls on what Christians tend to think. And so the Barna Group in 2019, um, we, we learned this, according to them in their polls, that almost all practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus, right? So from 95 to 97% among all generational groups. So this means whether you're older or you're younger, you've been a part of the church for a short amount of time or a long amount of time, um, almost all Christians believe that, that witnessing, oh, can we pull that back up for a sec, um, is a part of your faith, and they think that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to know Jesus, Right, so for people who are followers of Jesus, practicing Christians, whatever denomination you're a part of, for the most part, 97% of people think that it is a great thing, right? Jesus has been good news to me, and it would be good news for someone else to learn about that. And even though that is true, Barna did another study, and they found that even though 97% of people who are practicing Christians think that, Actually, less than 1% of people who identify as Christians say they have any gifts at all in evangelism. Fewer than 1% of Christians would say that evangelism is something that they um, feel inclined towards or have any skill or gifting or is something that they would want to participate in. And so that is something that that is really interesting to me, you know? In some ways, it makes me think of me as um, a sports mom. So I have three kids, and they're all involved in sports, and I love going to their games or their meets or their matches or whatever they're doing. Um, and this past week, I went to my daughter's softball game. She's nine years old. And um, it turns out that our coaches, our main coaches, were um, out of town, um, including my husband, who happens to be one of the coaches, right? But the coaches weren't there, and so they had asked for parent volunteers who don't normally coach to step in and to help out. And so there were a number of parents kind of put their hands in the air, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do that. I was not one of them. Um, I have never really been that mom, right? I sign up for snacks and I sit in the stands and I cheer. But so I did that, right? I showed up and I'm sitting in the stands and then my little Macy gets up to the plate. It's her turn to bat. And this volunteer coach gets up and throws the ball. And I'm like, it landed in the dirt. Are you kidding me, right? And so I was like, that's unhittable. And so then he throws another one. And this whole game, I found myself getting real riled up and having all these ideas on how these other volunteer parents should be doing what they're doing. Meanwhile, I've never even thrown a softball. And I'm like, I have all these ideas, right, about how this should go, even though I haven't really been participating in it. And I thought of that this week um, as I was... Uh, preparing for today, it made me think of this quote by Dwight Moody. Um, Dwight Moody was a pretty well-known um, evangelist in the 1800s, and he has this quote um, that I wanted to read to you, and he says, it's clear that you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raise some good points. Frankly, I sometimes don't like my way of doing evangelism, but I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. And I think that that is a really interesting and powerful and funny, in some ways, quote, right? 
And I find myself wanting to qualify it a little bit and to say, well, maybe we wouldn't do something if it's harmful, right? Some, some evangelism is harmful, so we are going to avoid that. But it's funny because it, what he's doing is he is pointing out this gap that exists, right? Where so many Christians believe and get excited about the idea of other people knowing and following Jesus, but practically we kind of sit on the bench and we have ideas about how other people might be doing evangelism well or not doing it well, but really we never raise our hand and get in the game ourselves. We're just kind of the softball mom on the side who's complaining. Um, okay, so I think that this is something worth us talking about, right, evangelism. And so we're actually going to spend the next few weeks talking about this. Um, but today what I want to do is I want to ask really two questions. And I want us to think about um, where did we even get the idea that this should be part of our faith, right? Where does this idea come from that somehow because I have decided to follow Jesus, I should somehow influence other people that they should think the same thing that I think or follow in that same way. So where did we even get that from? Where does it come from? And then secondly, if this is something that's part of our faith, practically, how do we make this a part of our everyday lives? Um, if this is something we struggle with, how would we actually do this in our day-to-day -day lives? Okay, so where did we get this idea? Where did this even come from? Well, it turns out that we get this idea primarily from the teachings of Jesus um, and from looking at what the early church did when we read the stories of Paul and Peter and all of these people. But Jesus talked about this a good deal. The Great Commission is the title that we give to kind of the last thing that we have recorded that Jesus said. So after Jesus' resurrection, before he went into the clouds and up into heaven, um, Jesus was gathered with his disciples, and he, and he said something to them. And it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this is something that we highlight as being significant because especially of the placement of it, right? This is like the final thing, the last thing. It's in this like climactic position in the telling of the story, this is what Jesus said right before he leaves. And um, I want us to read it together from Matthew. This is the most famous of the um, verses of the Great Commission. And it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So when Jesus is with his disciples, he is saying, listen, I've taught you all these things, and now I want you to go and to share what you've learned with other people. But this was not only the last thing that Jesus said. This wasn't just his final instruction. It turns out that this had been his plan really from the beginning. In the earliest recordings that we have of Jesus inviting people to follow him, this was a part of what Jesus had in mind and what he was saying. So we have um, a, a story where Jesus is calling disciples, right? And this was like right after Jesus had launched his ministry. It was one of the first times he was teaching and a, a crowd had gathered around him and they were pressing in on him. So he sees this guy, Simon, and he's just like, hey, you have a boat. Can I get in your boat, Simon? And so he gets in this boat and he gets out on the lake so that people won't crowd him and he's sitting in a boat teaching people. And then after he's done teaching, he says to Simon, all right, now we're going to go out in the water. And I want us to read this part um, together as well from Luke 5. And it says, when he, this is Jesus, had finished speaking or teaching to the crowd, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
So, so he was a fisherman, and they had been fishing. So, so Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full of fish that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and let every, left everything and followed him. So kind of from the earliest days of Jesus inviting people to follow him, Jesus included this as part of his teaching, right? This, this metaphorical idea that you are going to fish for people. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I am coming and I'm catching you. And now I want you to turn and to catch other people. This has been... Um, like the, the idea that you are my disciple and now you will go and make disciples. So be a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples, right? The idea, how will people know who Jesus is? How will they know about his love? How will they know that this is good news? Well, the plan from the beginning until the very end, Jesus is saying, I just want you to share. I just want you to tell people about this. And so this is where we get this idea of, right, th th this message is good news. And it wasn't just good news for them. It's good news for us. And it's good news for everyone everywhere. And so we get to be a part of welcoming people into that. And so for those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, who would say, yeah, I'm a disciple, a good question for us to ask ourselves or to think about is who am I discipling, right? Who am I welcoming widely and warmly into this way of thinking, right? Who am I talking with or, or having conversations with about what it means to follow Jesus? And so if this is part of our faith, if this idea of like welcoming people and fishing for people is part of, of Christianity, which Barna says most of us do believe, then practically, how do we do this? Because most of us say, you know, I don't have much gifting in that, or I don't have any gifting in that. I'm not inclined to that. And I don't know, maybe what we're saying is, I don't really want to stand on a street corner and preach into a microphone. You know, maybe that's what people mean when they say, are you an evangelist? And, and I would just say, you know, happily, that's not required. In fact, statistically, that's not really effective. And so I might just pastorally suggest that you find a different way um, to, to, you know, inspire people about following Jesus. Um, but, you know, following Jesus is really primarily about relationships. And so it makes a lot of sense for us to think that the way that we would grow in our individual faith is through relationships and the way that the kingdom of God would grow would be through relationships. And so Jesus gives us a lot of examples for how he does this. And one of the um, stories I want us to look at together is Jesus doing exactly this of, of fishing for people through relationships. Um, so I want us to keep reading from Luke 5. So this is in the same chapter that we had just read after Jesus had called these disciples. 
And it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we have this story of Jesus, who is essentially fishing, right? He had been fishing and calling people, and now he's with the disciples, and he is continuing to fish for people. And the way that he is doing that is by having connection, by building relationships. And Jesus not only is is teaching, but he sits down, and he is sharing a meal and connecting with people. And interestingly, the people that he is connecting with are people who are outside of who his normal kind of social circle would be. And this is kind of a, you know, a, an important and significant thing that when we, when we see that Jesus was connecting, right, that he was connecting with people who we might say were different in some way to Jesus, One of the things that we tend to do in our lives is to to be around people who are like us. And that's comfortable for us, right? I, I mean, I think I'm pretty great. So somebody who's like me is probably pretty great, you know? And, and we, we tend to be around people who we are comfortable with. And Jesus did that because we're neighbors to everyone and we love everyone, but he went beyond that. And he was intentionally connecting with people who were different than he was in some way. Right, one of kind of the biggest challenges or maybe mistakes that the church broadly makes is that we kind of teach people that the goal that we're going after is for people to kind of come to the church and to serve or be active in the church, right? That that is our goal. When actually it would be really great, the real prize is for us to come to the church and be equipped to go out and serve in the world. Right, that we would be people who come together and connect with each other and encourage each other, but then we actually go out and we're connected with our neighbors and with our coworkers and with people who are nothing like us, right? That we would actually go to places that are off of where we normally would go, that, we, that we're interacting and connecting with intention to people who are somehow different than we are, just so that we can know and love the people that God loves. You know, you can tell from the way that this story is written and told in Luke that the people that Jesus was connecting with were not who they would have normally expected him to um, eat with, right? So if you've read some of the um, stories in the Gospels before or read what Paul or Peter, these guys are, are saying about tax collectors, they're often the foil, right? They're, they're kind of the bad guys in the story or, or the ones who they're just like, oh, tax collectors, oh, um, and, and that doesn't always kind of translate to our current society because for us tax collectors, like they're just people who work in an office somewhere, right? They, they just like, they have a salary and they're part of a network of financial people just like doing their thing. Um, but that's not how it was at, in the time that this story was written. So the Roman empire collected a lot of taxes from the people who lived in the empire. And the way that they did that is they would assign a Roman citizen to a certain geographical area. 
And that rich Roman citizen would divide that bigger area into smaller tax districts. And they would assign a chief tax collector over that district. And then the chief tax collector would find locals, people who lived in the area, to go around from house to house and business to business to actually knock on doors and collect the money. So there were three people who had their hands on the money before it finally made its way to the empire for the taxes that they would collect. And this really set it up for a lot of abuse. And um, so what you had is really three people who were kind of dipping their hands in the pot or lining their own pockets before they would pay the taxes. And so there, were, there was a lot of abuse in this. And if you read any of the literature of the time, including the New Testament, but not just the New Testament, um, tax collectors were despised uh, because they, they were oppressing people and they were cheating and they were just getting wealthy just because they were in a position that they could and they would take advantage of people. Now, Jewish tax collectors were especially um, looked negatively at because not only was there the financial oppression that was going on, but you had the, the, um, the old covenant that they were under. And so Jews and Gentiles weren't supposed to be together, eat together, work together. And so you had these Jewish people who had decided to work with Gentiles. And even worse than that, they were really seen as traitors because they were taking money from their people, the people they had grown up with and gone to synagogue with and, and been a part of their lives. And they were taking their money and giving it to these foreigners and the people who, who were um, not well thought of in the Jewish community. And so the, to a tax collector, when you read that, that would have been like a, oh, you know, like that would have been a noticeable thing. These were definitely people who were othered. And then the same thing with sinners. Whenever the New Testament talks about sinners, um, this is not just like a personal opinion about someone's lifestyle, right? They're not like, oh, I think that person's a sinner, right? If someone is called a sinner in the New Testament, they've broken the Mosaic law, which means that they have been excluded from participating in the synagogue. And so this person was genu like genuinely um, on the margins. And so this is who this story is talking about, right? Jesus is sitting at a table with people who are considered other, that they don't have like an inroad into the community, that they are, they're people who are not looked at um, favorably in society. They're different in some way. And Jesus routinely does this kind of thing where he is connecting with people who are different, right? He, they may have been in a different economic class, um, they may have lived in a different part of the city or in the country. They may have been a different religion. They may have had um, an illness that would have given them a stigma in society. Right? There were all these um, different ways that people would not have fit in kind of the expected groups that Jesus and his disciples would have just like palled around with. And Jesus was connecting and entering into genuine relationship with people who were different. And he was pushing past whatever their perceptions were of what was an appropriate friendship to have with people. And he just kind of, he just went for it. And he was like, you know, I'm making these connections. I'm building these relationships. Right? He or the disciples, they could have been deterred by the comments that people were making about who are you eating with? Who are you drinking with? Why are you hanging around these people? Right? That could have been a barrier to them. But they decided that they weren't going to let it be. Right? There are all kinds of barriers for us. If we think about evangelism and we think, okay, if I want this to be a part of my everyday life, if I want to be someone who's inspiring other people when, when they think about Jesus or, or, or what it is to follow, 
right? We would want to start by building connections, but in order to do that, we have to identify what stands in the way of that connection. And there could be any number of things, right? What prevents us from having hospitality? What prevents us from building relationships with people? And especially people who might be different to us in some way. And it could be anything. It, it, it could be that we think, you know, well, I just don't have kind of the space. My house isn't, isn't a great space to welcome people, right? I, I don't have the time for that, right? I'm really busy. I have stuff going on. Or, or maybe you think, you know, well, I, I'm kind of socially awkward anyways. And so the thought of like building relationships with people where there's extra things that, how do you talk about that? Um, or if we th think about like sharing our faith, right? Well, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? What if they ask me about something and I have no idea? Or what if I receive judgment, either from the person I'm with or from the community around me? Right? What if my family or my friends are like, what are you doing? Why are, why are you even doing that? Why, why are you over there? Why are you hanging out with those people? What is happening? Right? There are all of these things and these thoughts that can just creep up and just really practically get in the way of us building connection and making relationships um, with people. And sometimes we have barriers that prevent us from going after connection. And sometimes there are barriers that we've put up that prevent other people from wanting to connect with us. But, you know, recognizing these barriers so that we can remove them and so that we can connect is one of the goals and the gifts that we can have in this. Right, one of the things that could have been a barrier for Jesus was this idea of social norms. Right, what were the social norms? Who would you actually um, hang out with? And, you know, sometimes the Pharisees, they really get a bad rap, and I just kind of have a tender spot sometimes for them um, in, in my heart because I think, you know, Yes, it's true that they probably were thinking about the tax collectors and thinking, I mean, ugh, these guys, right? Like, ugh, you know, and not liking them. But also, the Pharisees, they had genuine reasons that they would have had questions about why Jesus was doing this. Because the way that they understood holiness and, like, what is righteousness, what, how does this actually work out, is they really wanted separation from sin. And that included, well, I don't want to sin, and I don't want to be around other people who I think are sinning. And so they were, they were really wanting to have some distance and some separation, right? They had a strong sense of, of wanting to do the right thing in some of these cases. I, I really believe that. And so there is this question of like, wait, well, Jesus is not just offering mercy, Right? This isn't Jesus like finding someone hungry and being like, well, here's some bread or here's some water. Right? Jesus was sitting and it said this was a banquet. Right? This was like a big meal. This was like a party meal. This was like a, a fun celebration. And these were not like, it doesn't say that Jesus was sitting with like really penitent sinners. Right? They didn't come like with just like tears streaming down their face. They weren't covered in ashes, right? This was a banquet. We have every reason to believe that there would have been music and there would have been dancing and there would have been wine and there would have been great food. And here's Jesus living it up with these people who it's like, what are you doing, right? And like these are these are people who, who aren't in our group, right? And so in a very real way at this time period, table customs said something about who you were and where you belonged. 
I mean, who we eat with still matters a lot, right? There, there's a lot of, of social meaning and community building that happens around meals. But in the time of Jesus, these table customs were really significant. Who you ate with, what you ate, how you ate, all of these things were markers of identity and who you were, right? And so you didn't eat with certain people or you did eat with certain people and you didn't eat certain foods or you did eat certain foods. And those were important things um, for, for your identity and belonging. And so for the Pharisees, they were like, you know, this is not just like politeness. This isn't just like, oh, I was invited to something and I better not turn it down, right? This was like a sign of total welcome and inclusion in the group. And so for the Pharisees to come and to be like, okay, Jesus, like, okay, you religious teacher, why is your dinner invitation so broad? Why is it that you are doing this and spending your time and your energy and, and, and offering this to people who are unholy and who are unrighteous and who aren't even trying? And these are people who are unworthy of, of spending time with you. So, so what's happening? And Jesus gave this really brilliant response. Sometimes, do you ever like read the Bible and read something Jesus says? I do this and I'm just like, I mean, Jesus is just like really good at being God. I'm like, I just would never have thought of this, right? Just put on the spot. I just feel like I would fumble my way through all kinds of things, right? But when they're asking Jesus, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? He has this great response where he, he says who he came for, right? And so he sets up these kind of two different categories, these two sets of metaphors, right? The sick and the well, right? Sinners and saints. And he's very clear about who he came to minister to. He says, I came for the sick, right? This is, this is what my ministry is for. This is who I came to be with. And so immediately the listeners, both them and us, have a decision to make when we hear that. We have to say, okay, well, which group do I belong to? Am I, am I sick or am I well? Am I a sinner or am I a saint? Am I seated at the table with Jesus and the tax collectors and the sinners? Or am I standing here as a critic of what Jesus is doing? And I just think that this is so important for us as we think about being a follower of Jesus, as we think about evangelism or what it is to inspire other people as, as to whether they want to follow Jesus or not, right? We have to remember that like one of our tasks is that we are just one of the people that are sitting at the table being offered this meal that Jesus is providing, right? We are people who come and eat the bread that Jesus has given to us. And one of our biggest risks is forgetting whose table this is, right? Of, of forgetting, like, whose church this is, of forgetting whose grace it is that's being offered. And I think we don't mean to, but sometimes we kind of accidentally slip into this way of thinking where we say, well, you know, I'm loved by God, and we are the children of God. And so we take on this name and this place and this identity, but then we start guarding the things that God has given us instead of warmly welcoming everyone else to share in the gifts that God has given and so this, for us, is where we risk putting up barriers of connection, right? Where other people might want to come and we would have something that's actually preventing them from connecting with us.
Because it's not just that we have barriers to go out, but sometimes we accidentally put these things up that would make it seem like this is not a, a, a place where people are welcome, that this is not a table where everyone can be served. And so sometimes when we talk about salvation, when we talk about the Lord, we talk about it in terms of this is a free gift, right? And we say, you don't have to do anything to earn this. This is just a free gift of God that is for everyone. And we believe it and we mean it. And then we accidentally sometimes slip into this way of treating it like it's a meritocracy, where we actually somehow think that our talent or our effort or our achievements or even the attitude that we would have when we approach the Lord is somehow what gives us access to the goodness and the gifts of God. Right? But the consistent thing about the ministry of Jesus and the love of God is that he offers it again and again to people who are in need of his love. He offers it to the people who are hungry. And that's us, right? When Jesus was on the boat with Simon, remember they went out and they threw in their nets and all these fish came up? Well, his response, right? This, this has always amazed me, that the response of Simon was not, well, how'd you do that, right? Can, can you teach me how to, where, where are the good fish, right? No, his response was, Lord, I'm not worthy, Right? In, in the presence of the Lord, there was something about his response that was like, Lord, you are good and you have offered this gift to me. Right? We are recipients of the goodness and the grace and the love of the Lord. And every one of us is being offered new mercy every day. And we are offered new mercy every day because we need mercy every day. We are a people who are hungry Right? We are the people who need this. This is not a kingdom for the worthy. This is a kingdom for the hungry. There's a, there's a quote by um, D.T. Niles that says, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. And I, I, I love that idea, right? That we are people, when we are talking about God, when we are talking about what might be inspiring for someone else to find hope and faith and life and love in the Lord, right? It's because we have been given that and we are all receivers. There's um, a woman, Rachel Held Evans, who wrote a lot of things before she died. And my, my, I think it's my favorite quote of hers. This is what she says. She said, this is what the kingdom of this is what God's kingdom is like. It's a bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry, because they said yes, and there's always room for more. Right, friends, can you picture this table? Right, there, there's um, this idea in my head of, of a literal table, and I, I have a picture of it. And I want you just to imagine a table that's set with bread and wine and people gathered around, just like sharing genuine connection, sharing relationship, telling our own stories in the context of this bigger story that God is telling. Right, friends, this is the kingdom of God, right? This is evangelism. This is what it looks like to be people who are fishing for other people. It's sitting in a backyard or sitting on a, 
I don't know, in a restaurant somewhere or sitting at somebody's house, just connecting with other people, talking about what does it actually look like for us to be receivers of God's love. And that is what inspires the gospel message and the hope of Jesus to be spread around the world. Right? My invitation to us today is to think about how we can make this more a part of our lives. How could we make this practically more of what we do every day? Right? Just what is one step that we could take this week towards connecting with someone? Right? Or identifying maybe a barrier that's prevented us from connecting. What could we do to move one step closer to connecting to someone who's different than we are? Right? Notice things that, that would, would prevent it and, and moving them or, or just like doing something, right? Not because we have something to offer, but because we have been giving something amazing and we are receivers. We are recipients of this, right? And we have received a love so great that it spills out onto everything that we do, right? We just want to be people who love the people that God loves, right? This is how we grow as people, and this is how the kingdom of God grows. So may this be true for all of us. I want to invite you um, to pray with me now as we kind of consider this. Lord, we just want to thank you for loving us. Lord, when we think about who you are, and what you did when you came for us. Lord, we are so grateful for your love. And Lord, we ask that for each one of us, you would help us to consider who you are to us. What does it mean for, for you to have come to the world, to be crucified and raised to life? And once we decide whether or not to follow you, Lord, we ask that you would help us to think about what it means for us to actually be people who, who to be disciples who make disciples, to be people who inspire other people to understand and learn something about your goodness and your love. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to identify any of the ways um, that we um, have misunderstood that or ways that we have miscommunicated that Lord, we ask that you would help us to see where we have put barriers up, where we misunderstand who and how people have access to your love and to your grace and to your goodness. And Lord, would you remind us that every one of us just comes as a recipient. Lord, that this is your table, that this is your church, that this is your grace, this is your goodness and your love that you just pour out on us all. And so, Lord, help us to be recipients of that love and help us to faithfully look around and to share that love with the people who are around us, the people who are like us, and the people who are different to us. Lord, may it be so for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.